The Bulls have three seconds to try a shot and try to win the game. This is the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. Coming to you from the betting deck. Don't believe what I just saw. Here are your hosts. Hey, good evening, everybody. The boys from Notebook, Notebook Wagering are back. We're going to do another podcast this week, and we have a special guest on tap. We'll bring him in in a second. But we're going to talk a little golf this week, and then we'll wrap in some NBA finals, a little NHL finals. We got it all going on. Big golf weekend after the PGA wrapped up two weeks ago. So, Smitty, you're done with school. What is going on down there in uh, Virginia, bud? Oh, just trying to stay cool inside. A lot of yard work yesterday. I'm glad I'm here. I'm alive because it was a warm one yesterday. So I'm excited. I'm very excited for the guests this week. Um, talk some golf here in a little bit. So let's get after it, boys. Jay Cam from the South. What's up? Not much. Had a pretty good weekend betting on sports I usually don't bet on. It did well in college baseball. Thanks to some pointers from Ryan Hyatt, our guest last week. Uh, didn't do anything in golf. Got a little lucky with the PGA. I had um, what's called Pereira, but it, that didn't really work out. But I grabbed JT late on the back nine when it was pretty clear he was the only one that kind of had his wits about him at that point. So that was a nice little cash for me. And uh, hockey's been doing well. Did pretty well with the Avalanche last night. And uh, I don't know what two kids were playing NHL 94 on TV for us, but they did a pretty good job. It was a very entertaining game. And we're probably going to get the opposite of that tonight. We're probably going to get back to the uh, lightning blocking 55 shots and the Rangers not being able to score, but it's hockey. It's good stuff. Hey, I am the biggest Rangers basher, but I'm going to be all pro Rangers this week. So, but so, so biggest, biggest takeaway here is we love golf on the show and we got the best in the business this week. We got the host of the long shots show on the VSIN network. Without further ado, let's bring in Brady Cannon. Brady, how's it going from Vegas? It's great, guys. Thanks so much for having me, and I appreciate you guys listening to Long Shots. That's uh, nice to know that somebody out there is tuning in. Brady, we well, love I'm going to jump in, Matt. Brady, okay. that is that is Tuesday night ritual in the Smith House. So this is the first year that I've really got into gambling golf, and I've really enjoyed it. So I, you know, I'm not going to go in how because I'm not a pro like you guys are. But get a little notes Tuesday night. You just put that in. If the wife says, let's watch a movie. I'm like, nope, sorry. Got to do something else. Got to watch. You got to listen to long shots. But no, you and Wes just do a fantastic job. Well, thank you very much. But um, I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed golf betting. It seems like uh, when we were dealing with the quarantine and the only sports that were going on were UFC and golf, a lot of people were introduced to golf betting at that time because there was nothing else available. And I, I got to ask you, isn't it a great sport to bet? I mean, you, you've got so many different ways you can go top 20 finishes, top 10 finishes, head to head matchups, will he make the cut? Uh, and then of course an outright winner. And, you know, I, I bet all sports, pretty much all sports across the board, but I don't know if there's anything better than having a, a sweat on a Sunday with a guy in contention to win a golf tournament. Totally agree, Brady. But on the flip side, imagine the last two weeks having 
uh, a ticket on Will Zalatoris to win, and then a ticket on Harold Varner to finish top five this past week. Well, you know, I was almost on both of those. I, I was on Will Zalatoris, and I was actually kind of happy that I even got to a playoff because, you know, Mito Pereira kind of did us a favor there and allowed Zalatoris to emerge, and I still cashed him for a top 10 finish. A win certainly would have been nice, but it was tremendous drama, you know, and again, Mito made it even more incredible and brutal for some people as well, but it was a great watch. I was with you there on Zalatoris, and then I was on Chris Kirk last week at the Colonial, um, but just kind of for fun, you know, over, I, I don't typically do a lot of in-game wagering on golf, but I just wanted to have some action, a guy that was a contender on Sunday uh, and I didn't know if Kirk was going to get there. So I added just some funny money on Harold Varner. And yeah, that looked good for a long time until he hit about the 12th hole. But oh, well. Yeah, the, the plus eight on Sunday was not very appealing. What he shoot? He shot 45 on the back nine. He went from first place to finishing 27th in the matter of six holes. <laughs> That's, that's, uh, that's me out there after eight Miller lights. Yeah. Yep. I've been there. <laughs> so Brady, we'll fire a couple questions off. We got to really, of course, you know it and we know, but a lot of our casual fans may not know, it, but we have been this new live golf group starting up. So give us a little insight on this to start. And then we have a couple questions for you that we'll probably just fire away at you. Yeah, it's really getting interesting. And you guys may recall uh, as regular Long Shots listeners way back in February when we were previewing the PGA or excuse me, the Pebble Beach uh, Pro-Am, uh, Alan Shipnuck was our guest. And we always bring Alan in for maybe Pebble Beach or anything really that's a, a big golf tournament on the West Coast. He resides uh, out in that Carmel area. And so we like to have regional insights and Alan, as you guys probably know, is one of the best golf writers in the world. And he's been a regular on long shots, I believe in all four years of the program. And that was really the beginning of him kind of tipping us on this book that he was writing about Phil. And he talked a little bit about the Saudi tour and, you know, the live tour that you're talking about. And, you know, then, then there was, you know, a, a news trail for a couple of months and, you know, it looked like some guys were going to join and then some guys, you know, specifically Dustin Johnson came out and said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the PGA tour. And, and then just this week, Johnson's in and, you know, a lot, Taylor Gooch was a, surpri a surprise, certainly. Uh, but I think everybody else was not so much of a surprise. Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, uh, a lot of those guys, we figured we're going to give this a shot. And, it, and it's kind of interesting, the dynamic. We have 42 players, 42 names that we've seen released. Uh, there's still six spots that are left open. I guess a few of those are going to be uh, per qualification on like an Asian tour or what have you. But I do believe they are holding a spot for Phil Mickelson as well. Um, but it's interesting, the, the dynamic between the names that you see on the list it's kind of either older guys that are in the, the latter half of their career or young guys that are looking to make some big money and have kind of yet to make a name for themselves. And, and you see Chase Kepka, you know, Brooks Kepka's younger brother, never really been able to 
to break through on the PGA tour or the European tour. So he's going to give it a shot. That's not surprising. And I think the, the live golf tour would probably love to see him win. They'd probably love to see him win this event next week because they're look, you know, the rest of the world's going to see a guy like Chase Kepka make $4 million and they're going, Hey man, I can do that. Um, and then you've got, you know, the Lee Westwoods and the Graham McDowell's Louis Oosthuizen, Dustin Johnson, and obviously Johnson and Oosthuizen, really all those guys, really, except for maybe McDowell are still absolutely world-class players. But I think they're also realizing that the Sam Burns and the Will Zalatoris's and the Victor Hovland's and Scotty Scheffler's of the world are, are making life a lot tougher for them. And so maybe they're just going to, you know, try this out for a year or whatever it is and kind of build a little retirement package and sail off into the sunset. I, I also believe, you know, and I read this and I've heard it, a few different people have said that Dustin Johnson changing his mind probably has a little bit to do with what I'm, what I'm telling you about with, you know, some of these young guns kind of moving into his space. But I also believe that he was probably advised that his lawyers can, can win any case the PGA tour wants to put against him. And so that may be freedom up to go ahead and give this a shot. And that's great stuff. Uh, Jason, I knew, I know you have a couple questions. So why don't you fire away first, Brady? Well, I, uh, Brady already kind of touched on, it. I was like, Hey, they got a Kepka, but they got the other one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So do you think, I mean, there's a couple of things I have on my mind here, looking at the nationalities with the players, is this going to make the president's cup a really interesting tournament uh, come this fall? Because I do see a lot of representation from countries that are going to be in that event and players that could be in that event as well. Um, and do you think there'll be a second wave? I mean, is this, you know, I don't know if you're a pro wrestling fan. Is this going to turn into like the NWO here where we don't know who's going to leave every week and we're going to have like separate golfers kind of leave in little shifts and guys who we think are on the PGA tour are going to suddenly just appear here or find a way to get involved. If not this season, next. I think he absolutely could see that. And, and it kind of goes back to what I'm talking about with Chase Kepka. Uh, you know, if you see a guy like that, a relative unknown win this thing, you know, if Dustin Johnson wins or Louis Oosthuizen wins, even if like a Kevin Na wins, that that could that could move the needle a little bit. But I think if a relative unknown wins this thing, then yeah, you're going to see a lot of volatility, guys moving in and out and going back and forth, and and who knows what the ruling's going to be or what the PGA Tour is going to do to these guys. So I think there's a lot of unknown right now and a lot of speculation going on. I think there are some things we kind of have a good idea about, but I, I think you're probably onto something there that, you know, it, it could be, uh, like I say, very volatile as far as, you know, who's in the field, who's on the PGA tour field one week and who's uh, playing on the Saudi tour the next. Smitty. Yeah. I want to kind of change directions here. I don't really, they kind of took all my, questions on that but Braden <laughs> heading into a tournament to bet what is your first thing that you really look at to kind of get your numbers lined up where you're heading is it course correlation is it how they previously golfed on that course like where where, where do you go first thing when you start breaking down a tournament a lot of times um Todd I will just look at the field like one of the first things I do is just look at the field and I'll eliminate anybody that I don't think has a shot to win. Um, and so maybe what I come up with is 50 players. And that's just an initial impression. I may go back and add some guys if I notice some numbers and stuff like that. But 
the first thing I do is pretty much an initial impression. And, you know, a lot of times your first instinct can go a long way. So I just kind of want to look at the field. Who do I, you know, have a gut feeling about? Who am I throwing out? And then I'll take that, those names that I have left uh, and, and start to crunch the numbers on those guys. Um, and, and the second thing I'll do before I start crunching the numbers is figure out what numbers are going to apply to this golf course. And I'll look at past notes. You know, I've been writing golf articles. I mean, I, I started handicapping golf in probably about 1997. I used to play in uh, like a year long fantasy game, kind of like a one and done deal. But rather than picking week to week, we had to pick every golfer before the season started. So in January, when they teed it up for the Tournament of Champions at Kapalua, you know, all the way through August for the Tour Championship or whatever it was, there was about 40 events and you had to fill in one name for every tournament and you couldn't use a guy twice. So you really had to do some research on who was going to show up and, and you earned points by how many dollars they, they earned. So if they missed the cut or they didn't show up, you took a zero. So you had to figure out who was going to show up. And then secondly, who was likely to do good at this course. And so you had to look at course history, who, who's a horse for this course. And so over time, I really learned a lot about what skill sets work at which courses, which players work at which courses, which types of players work at which courses. So before, you know, I'll go through that initial look at the, at the field, and then I will go back into my notes and, and do some reading on, on Twitter and podcasts and kind of get the buzz of what people are talking about, see if there's anything that I missed. Uh, and I'll apply anywhere from maybe four to seven skill sets or metrics that I think are worth measuring. Um, I, I think you can probably have too many and, and you begin to confuse yourself and you can probably have too few probably somewhere between four and seven for me is what I, I like to do. And then I'll just go in and, and look at the stats for each of these guys and see where they rank in the field or where they rank in the PGA tour and, and plug those numbers into my system. And, you know, whoever comes out with the best numbers are the guys that I'm going to start taking a harder look at. And then I mentioned that, you know, sometimes I eliminate some guys just off the top. And if, if all of a sudden some guy's name is popping up on, on every stat that I'm looking at, then I'll go back and, and take a closer look at him. But that's kind of, you know, where I start. And then once all the numbers are kind of plugged in, um, that's when I, uh, Todd, go to the correlated courses. I go, okay, let's see. I, I, I really kind of like, let's say, these, you know, these 10 or 20 guys make a lot of sense with, with everything that I've done here. Now let's look at how they have done on the courses that I think correlate and, you know, where we've seen crossover success from year to year. Um, and, and that's one of my final steps. And, you know, then there's some other little BS, you know, just kind of doing research well, this and that and the other, you know, but that, that's really the crux uh, of the handicap from start to finish. And usually I'll end up with anywhere from about five to nine outrights. I would say on a week to week basis, it's, it's, it's probably six. And then for the majors, it's a little heavier, maybe nine, um, and I'll go ahead and, you know, then, then you start shopping for numbers where you can get the best numbers on these guys. And I'll also kind of, you know, if I, if the number's not available, like, let's say I think Tommy Fleetwood is, should be 45 to one to win this tournament. If I can only find 30, then I probably won't bet him. I'll probably stay away. Um, 
you know, you do want to get a number that makes sense for what his real probability is. And if you're not able to find that, then it's probably not a great bet. Um, and, and then I go to the head to head matchups. And, and by the way, as far as my outrights, I pretty much I'll bet them outright. And then I'll pretty much just bet them all top 20 as well. Um, I used to do it a little differently where I might take different guys, but this year I'm just taking guys for the outrights. And then I'm applying those same guys to a top 20 finish, sometimes a top 10 if they're really a short price. But, but the top 20 gives you a lot of leeway, and it's a good kind of insurance policy if you're not able to hit the outright. Uh, and then I'll go to the head-to-head matchups and kind of the same starting point where I'll just look at the menu and just land on three or four or five that I just have an initial impression on. And then I'll go into the numbers and say, okay, does it make sense? Good stuff, Randy. Um, so this weekend's tournament is the Memorial in Dublin, Ohio, the, at Mirrorfield Village. So I'm a huge Zalatoris fan. And mm-hmm. basically, I've been betting him every week to either finish top five or win outright. And I just keep getting burned and burned and burned. And I want to talk myself into betting him again, but his putting to me is really just holding him back. Is it a safer play? like you said, to possibly just pencil him in as a top 20 play this week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, you know, like we talked about, I was on him for the PGA as well. And he actually putted pretty darn well at the PGA. Um, he got to that third day. He had putted so well the first two days, you kind of knew it was going to come back uh, to earth, if you will, on the third day. And it did, but overall he gained strokes putting uh, for that championship. So, so maybe he's getting better and, you know, he's finished, what, no worse than six in having played two Masters. And you know you have to putt well there, too. So I, I hear loud and clear what you're saying, but I think it could be a little bit misleading. The other thing with handicapping golf is putting is the most random statistic. Uh, you can have a good putter that gets, you know, ice cold for four days, and you can have a lousy putter that gets red hot for four days. So it's, it's very hard to predict putting. Um, I will use it in my handicap, uh, on occasion, certainly. Uh, but a lot of times the, the putting is, is just random and, and you don't want to lean on that too much. So that being said, I, I wouldn't necessarily all of a sudden start fading Will Zalatoris. I mean, you and I both bet him to get not only his first win on the PGA tour, but his first win being a major championship. And, it may happen. It might happen in a couple of weeks uh, at the country club in Brookline. He, he is that good for sure. Uh, I certainly wouldn't give up hope on him. And yeah, maybe, maybe rather than completely take him off your card, you start to just play him for top tens and, or I, 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 pref- I prefer the top twenties. Obviously it doesn't pay as well, but um, you're getting 10 more spots on the leaderboard too. And I think a guy of Zalatoris's talent, uh, is a pretty darn good bet to finish top 20 whenever he's in the field. So, yeah, if you're going to scale back on him a little bit, look at the top 20s, and um, then when the time is right, you fire on him for an outright again. Awesome. Jay Ken? Yeah, so we're in a pool where we pick the majors. We do a nice little snake draft and draft uh, every time, and we all have learned over the years of guys we just do not like to take. so and when you go through your process how often does it happen where you get down to those final nine guys and you you see a couple of those names you're like oh geez like like i I throw them out from the beginning remember you don't even (laughs) let them get that far no no No, i mean you know i was actually talking about that uh 
you guys probably, I don't know if you know or not, but every Wednesday I go on Gil Alexander's show, uh, a numbers game in the morning. And we talk a little golf prior to the tournament teeing off on Thursday. And he had kind of a similar question because I mentioned that I had played Tony Finau for the upcoming U S open and Finau is not a guy I bet very often because he doesn't win that often. He's only won twice in his career. And it reminded me of some other guys like that, like Matt Kuchar, uh, Scott Hoke. Uh, there were guys that were just perennial ATMs, you know, that finished top 10 all the time and just cash checks, but never, never won the whole thing. So Tony Finau is a guy like that. And, and Matt Kuchar, you know, now Matt Kuchar for me, even though he's been playing very well, I just don't want to bet on him because I just, I mean, we talk about Dustin Johnson going to the Saudi tour. How about Matt Kuchar? You think this guy's going to beat Will Zalatoris and the rest of the guys? So, um, no, there are some guys, I mean, Xander Shoffley is a tremendous player, but he doesn't win all the time. I actually played him for the PGA championship because it seemed like the first major in a while where everybody wasn't figuring on Xander to win. And it, it feels like people have finally given up on him. And I was like, okay, this might be the right time to jump on him. You know, and he did a Xander type of thing, finished, you know, top 15. Um, cost me some money because uh, he bogeyed the last hole and didn't finish top 10. Uh, but yeah, certainly there are some guys and we probably know all the usual suspects, but you know, I, I don't know, for some reason, they just don't make their way onto my card. It's, I mean, if they're staring me in the face, but I, I think for one reason or another, JCAM, they don't end up in that place whenever I do my handicap. And so I don't necessarily have to be faced with that decision. Fortunately for Maddie, a bunch of his is left to the live tour. So he's in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Although, Brady, you did drop two of them. You dropped Tony Fina and Matt Kuchar, who are both on my no fly zone. Yeah. You know, I, I can't remember the last time I bet on Tony Finau because I just was of the mindset that he's not going to win. In fact, when he did win, I was on John Rom. That that was painful. If you guys remember a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, you know, I've started to do some initial research for the U S open and you guys probably have heard the name Gil Hans. He's become the, the renovation, the remodel doctor, uh, for all these major championship venues, he, of course, you know, had his hands on, on Southern Hills. Um, he did some work on winged foot in 2020, where they had the U S open. Uh, he's also done work on Aronimic and also Ridgewood country club. Those, uh, were sites of the 2018 BMW championship and the 2018 Northern trust. And if you go to those four tournaments, the 2020 U S open, the 2022 PGA, and the 2018 BMW and the 2018 Northern Trust, Tony Finau is on the top of every leaderboard. He finished eighth at uh, Wingfoot, eighth at Aronimic, and second at Ridgewood, and just finished 30th at the PGA. And oh, by the way, he just finished fourth at Colonial. And for many years, I have always thought Colonial is very much of a U.S. Open type test of a golf course. Now, a lot of times you'll see a birdie fest break out at Colonial, but the point I'm getting at is narrow fairways where you have to work your ball in both directions, smaller greens, greens and regulation being paramount, that type of thing. And sure enough, it did host a U.S. Open way back when in the days of Ben Hogan. So uh, and I think this week a Memorial is a very good indicator for possible U.S. Open success as well. So Finau was one of those guys that just made a lot of sense in my initial research. And I got him at 55 to one, you know, and 
you guys remember a couple, three years ago, Tony Finau was regularly 25, 30, maybe 35 to one. So 55 felt like I was getting a little bit of an edge. So I, I, I did take a shot on Tony. Hey, hopefully he wins the thing. All right. Before we transition over to like some uh, NBA talk and NHL talk, I just want to ask one final golf question where you have, you brought up his name. It's kind of the elephant in the room. Where is Phil Mickelson actually at right now? Gosh, uh, Rancho Santa Fe at his house, maybe, uh, maybe on the, you know, gosh, your guess is as good as mine. Um, it's a very interesting story. My, my belief is that the, the brass at Augusta national, and, and I could be dead wrong, but I got to believe that the powers that be at Augusta national asked him not to show up. Uh, as far as the PGA, I think that one's tougher to figure out. And, and even a tougher situation for him, maybe because he was the defending champion and for him not to go to that is really strange. Now the PGA of America, not the PGA tour, but the PGA of America runs the PGA championship and they aren't as involved with the Mickelson scandal, if you will. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if they stepped in and asked him not to show up. I wouldn't think that they would not want their defending champion not to be there. Um, so I, I think that one may have been on Phil himself just to continue to lay low and, and try and let time pass and heal these wounds. Uh, but I do, I, I think there's a really good chance we're going to see him next week in London, uh, for the first live tour event. And, and then maybe we'll know more uh, about your question, Matt, where, where he is. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a sad story, uh, you know, to kind of see this downfall. I have believed all along that Phil had as many digressions as Tiger Woods did in his career. Uh, it all came to a forefront way back when, when Tiger, you know, Elon took the golf club to his car and, you know, the rest is history. I always, and, and what was a little disturbing about that is Phil kind of came out like this knight in shining armor. Like, you know, I'm the, I'm the good boy next door that has done, never done any wrong. And, and I'm your new hero. And I was like, no, nah, you're, you're just as guilty as tiger. in, in my mind, um, I worked for Billy Walters for about a year in the golf business here in Las Vegas. And uh, rumor has it that Billy's coming out with a book that might drop some more bombs on, on Mickelson uh, as per their relationship for playing golf together and, and gambling on golf and whatever they, whatever else they gambled on together. That'll be very interesting. So, you know, Mickelson has had this, um, you know, sterling image for so long, but I think, some of it is now the truth coming out. And I'm not saying, you know, he's, I, it's not that I don't like the guy. It's not that I don't root for the guy, but you know, everybody makes mistakes. And I think some of them that Phil made are, are probably going to be surfaced here in the near future. Uh, I, just you bringing up Billy Walters alone. We have to have you on and you could just tell us stories then coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Billy might write a book about me if I do that. Well, well maybe, we, maybe we should get Billy on too then. He is, uh, you know, Billy was a very interesting person to work for. And I learned a ton. Uh, he, I remember he told me one time, uh, I'll never forget. He said, you know, I could really use uh, some of your people skills and you could probably really use some of my business skills. And maybe that's uh, one of the most true things he ever said to me. Um, 
but an absolutely shrewd businessman, uh, obviously an incredible man with numbers. And, you know, Billy really, I don't think does a lot of the handicapping himself. He, he definitely knows numbers and he kind of handicaps the handicappers. He had, he had guys working for him and he ultimately made the final decision. He was like the CEO of a betting syndicate, as far as I understand. Um, but, you know, I, I would never go back and, and remove that from my resume. It was a, a ton of lessons learned. And, I, and like I say, mostly to the positive. Uh, so I, I'm thankful for my experience uh, working for Billy. That's awesome. That, that alone is that it's, it kind of gives you the shivers to think about that you got to work for him for a year. Yeah, right. it, it, we say in Las Vegas, nobody's, uh, nobody's anybody in the golf business if you, ha if you haven't worked for Billy for a year. <laughs> and that's about all it lasts because you know billy was a, a volatile personality and one day he loved you and the next day you were gone but uh no again no, no offense here it, it was all something that uh that i cherish as a part of my upbringing in the golf business so since you're a uh, big warriors fan let's talk a little nba finals we have uh the warriors going up against the celtics Game one's tomorrow night, 9 p.m. We have a total of two twelve and a half, and Golden State's a three and a half point favorite. Why don't you give us a little dish on your Warriors and what you think may happen in the series? I think the Warriors will eventually win the series, but it's not going to be easy. And I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven games. I kind of, if I had to make a prediction or, or if I had to make a bet, rather, I'd probably take a little juicier price on the Warriors in six. Um, I have a ticket on the Warriors that I bet before the season started at 11 to one to win it all. And uh, I said that I was not going to hedge if Miami advanced because the Warriors would be a prohibitive favorite if that was the case. And I was going to sit back and watch and cross my fingers. Uh, but if the Celtics made it like they did, I said I was going to hedge. And so I did. And, and I didn't just go smack dab down the middle. Um, if you just look at the odds for the series price, it's basically telling you that the Warriors have a little bit better than a 60% chance to win the Celtics somewhere in a 38% chance to win. So, so basically I did about a 38% hedge on the Celtics. Um, but I think we're in for a very good series. The Celtics obviously have a lot of diverse talent that is going to be difficult to defend. And obviously that's the same for the Warriors and in the Celtics case of trying to defend them. Now you have the two best teams in defensive efficiency in the NBA. I think it's the first time that's happened for an NBA finals with those two teams that have been number one and number two in that statistic since 1996. So you know, I think both of these teams can score the basketball and obviously they can both defend. Um, it's not going to be an easy ride for either one of them. Uh, you know, I, I think probably if, if this was on a neutral court, if you will, maybe the Warriors would be a minus 125 or 130 favorite. The home court's probably act, adding an extra 25 or 30 cents to that. Um, I can't wait, though, and I, I do think my Warriors are going to get another championship, but uh, I, I think, and I would... <laughs> let's be serious. I, I wouldn't mind if they were playing the heat, but I do think we're going to get it more entertainment here uh, with the fact that they're playing the Celtics. So given the fact that the Warriors have so much experience in the finals and the Celtics have literally none, do you think game one is going to be the, the really the game where that has the most influence? And then after that, the Celtics will kind of learn of how the, the finals kind of are probably another step up, even from the playoffs. That's a good question. Um, I, the, the Warriors, you know, we saw them do it against uh, Memphis 
we saw them do it in their prior series. I'm trying to remember who they play. Oh, the, the, was it the Nuggets, I believe, Denver? Yeah. Um, and then against Dallas, it, it was pretty much uh, a coast. They, you know, obviously they won in five games. Uh, they, they didn't have much trouble there. But in their, ser- their two series prior, uh, they definitely laid some eggs, and especially against Memphis. And I think this team, this version of the Warriors, has that in them. I don't know if that'll happen game one. Um, you guys uh, touched on a, on a hockey uh, comment or two a little earlier. And, you know, looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have been off, I believe, for nine days. Um, I, I do believe there is a, a rust factor there rather than the rest being good. Now, the Warriors have not been off for as long, but they could certainly be susceptible to that in game one. If I was going to bet game one with the three and a half points, I'd probably take them with the Celtics. I think the Warriors probably win in a close one. Um, And who knows what's going to happen from there. But, uh, you know, what you're saying there, J-Cam, I do believe the Celtics will probably learn a lot in that first game and maybe take advantage of a little bit of rust uh, for the Warriors. And then after that, who knows? I think we get into both teams kind of being a little bit looser and, and then we, you know, obviously if you get to game seven, they tighten back up again, but <laughs> um, yeah, the first game I think will uh, probably tell you a lot. I mean, if the Warriors blow them out in game one, it, it could be a shorter series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Boston is one team over the last couple of years that has traveled out well out there and has played uh, golden state extremely well in both new, the, the old arena and now the new arena. Now, Brady, I'm going to say I'm a big Celtics fan. So, uh, you know, I might go back and forth a little bit with you here and have some fun over the next couple of days. Uh, <laughs> just all in good fun. You know, I think the big thing with the Celtics, I mean, you saw it the last game against the heat, Big lead, you had about a minute, something left, and Jimmy Butler, you know, missed the shot that could have changed a lot there, and that may be one of the biggest collapses ever that you saw with the Celtics, and watching the Celtics, you know, I'm not a diehard watching regular season games every night, but I've watched about every playoff game, that's the one thing with the Celtics, they get a big lead, and then they kind of dribbled away a little bit, and, you know, sometimes Tatum doesn't take the shot, Marcus Smart was really dictating the ball there late that Maybe it was a head scratcher why he was shooting so much. I think it's going to be a really great series. I think I've been saying this. I think it's the two best teams, so I'm glad that it's the finals. Uh, I think one of the big things is the turnovers once in a while. Both teams will get a little sloppy with the basketball, so I think whoever can control the ball a little bit better. Jalen Brown's been having, I mean, really like him, and he can score, but, man, he's been really bad with the basketball. Yeah, no, you bring up a couple of great points. First of all, both teams are very good on the road. That was exemplified earlier this season. The Warriors have now won at least one game on the road in 26 straight playoff series. I see that continuing. Um, The Celtics did beat the Warriors earlier this season uh, in San Francisco, and both teams have a tendency to turn the ball over. I believe the Warriors were number one or number two in the regular season as far as turning the ball over, and it certainly cost them. Like I told you, you know, we've seen them lay an egg, especially against Memphis in the playoffs. They have started to clean that up, and I, I think when they were in that series with Dallas, they were playing some of their best basketball of the entire year. And I tell you what, you know what's scary about the Warriors is obviously Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green are getting a little older. Boy, these the the younger guys that they have, 
Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, if if Wiseman ever comes along, you know, if he if he's able to get healthy and develop, uh, Gary Payton uh, Jr. or Gary Payton the second, uh, Moody, Kaminga. I mean, they are really loaded and and could be a powerhouse for a long time. You know, this is now their sixth finals in eight years, and they might not be going away anytime soon. Um, but uh, no, I, I'm with you. I, I think it probably is the two best teams that we're getting here uh, in the NBA. I wouldn't have said that a month ago, maybe about the Celtics, but I, I really was scared of the Phoenix Suns and they just kind of fizzled out. The other point you make, J. Cam, that I think is really interesting about the Celtics kind of faltering down the stretch in the fourth quarter. If they do that against Golden State, they will lose, period. Go, you, you saw Golden State do that to both Dallas and Memphis. Don't give them a window. They can score 12 points in no time. So uh, now the Heat, a different ball club, you know, different different skill sets, what have you. They were not necessarily able to mount that comeback to completion. Uh, I wouldn't put it past the Warriors for a minute. Brady, I'm a I'm a big futures guy. I love to throw some, uh, as your uh, group Vsin calls it, a little pizza money on some guys. So <laughs> I actually bet bet Jalen Brown to be Finals MVP the first series. Uh, when Boston started out the playoffs. So I still have that ticket live. However, I, I'm with you. I think the Warriors are probably going to win this series. Is this the year, do you think, that Steph gets his finals MVP finally? It's a great question. Um, and it, if the Warriors win, he probably will. But, you know, there there could be some other players on the Warriors that that could outplay him. And and maybe he just won't be deserving. Maybe it will be such a discrepancy that they can't even give him the sentimental vote. I think it's hard to bet on things that humans have a decision on, that something that is subjective. Now, obviously, you made a great bet. What, what's the number? 50 to 1? I actually got a 33 to 1. Okay, not too shabby. Um, I mean, it's a lot better than betting the Celtics to win the series right now, right? <laughs> so, it, yeah. you know, I mean, that that's another way to, to look at these things. Um, you know, if you're just getting involved right now, rather than betting the Warriors at minus 160, bet Steph to win the, the MVP at about minus 110 or, or even money or whatever it is. Uh, another interesting comment, we had a guy on our show over the weekend on VSIN, a uh, guy that covers the Warriors for the Bay Area News Group. And you guys remember uh, way back when the first series that the Warriors played the Cavaliers and LeBron and Andre Iguodala won the most valuable player for the finals. And that was due in large part. He certainly contributed in a number of ways, but one of the biggest contributions he made was that he was responsible for defending LeBron. Well, you know, who's going to be responsible for defending Jason Tatum and maybe some Jalen Brown as well, or, but basically the main man, as far as stopping their scoring threats for Boston is going to be Andrew Wiggins. So maybe it's worth a play on Andrew Wiggins to win finals MVP at around 20 to one. Totally agree. Somebody on Beeson tonight made a great point. I, I don't know if that was on uh, my guys in the desert or the show after, but they said maybe take a look at Wiggins and Jordan Poole because Jordan Poole's the young, up-and-coming, hot shot that might get a lot of play. when He's kind uh, of the X factor, isn't he? Yeah. You know, yeah. everybody talks about Clay and, and Draymond and Steph, but Jordan Poole is a guy that I think is very difficult for opponents to defend because you have to worry specifically about Clay and Steph as far as guard play. So Jordan Poole, there's no doubt about it. I mean, maybe you make two plays, Poole and Wiggins, to win the finals MVP. 
Matt, I think that's a great point. You know, if you're going to go in the other direction, if you're going to take the Celtics, I'd look maybe Marcus Smart. Just yeah. because Matt, you like got him at a hundred to one. Yeah. Cause I think Brady made a great point just a second ago. Who's going to shut down Tatum, but who's going to shut down maybe Seth Curry. And that's probably going to be Marcus smart. And then yep. if he continues to shoot now, he went a little cold there at the end, but he's had a, you know, really uh, some good games here scoring wise. I think, uh, you know, if you want to get away, uh, Matt, I know you have a, a Brown ticket, but Marcus smart might be another uh, really good play. I think for our audience. Yeah. Um, yeah, my colleague, Matt humans bet him at a hundred to one and, you know, probably a lot of the same thinking that you're going through right there. The only thing I worry a little bit about Marcus smart, uh, smart is he's been, you know, battling a little bit of a nagging injury here and there. It looked like he was going to suffer a brutal injury a few games ago, but, um, yeah, maybe the health is uh, a, a little bit of a question mark there for smart. As of now, able to play. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just saying he, yeah. he could re-aggravate something at any minute, oh, yeah. I imagine. And I think that's the big thing with the Celtics, being a Celtics fan. You know, Robert Williams, what's he going to do? Like, uh, man, the last game against the Heat, he just looked like he was lost. And, you know, he sometimes can give you some good minutes. And then, like I said, game seven, he just didn't look like the same guy. So I think uh, that's a big thing for the, um, for the Celtics, having him, because he's a good rim protector and everything like that. Again, I think it's going to be a great series. I think it's the two best teams. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, – to it. If I can stay up in this heat, if I'm working outside, because it doesn't con Brady until really late here on the East Coast. <laughs> you got to come out to the desert. There's nothing better than the summer nights when it's still about 85 or 90 degrees and dry as a bone and, you know, until midnight. So you can sit out by the pool and, and still jump in and dry off in a hurry. Uh, beautiful summer nights out here in the desert. So, Brady, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. We appreciate everything you've given us, but we do want to touch on one thing. So, our listeners, you have said that you have your hand in basically every aspect of gambling. So, for people that don't know, there's a contest in Las Vegas called the Super Contest, which is betting about football. Well, Brady Cannon has won the Super Contest. We don't really know how much money you pocketed on this, nor do we care to know, but that is an amazing feat. Uh, actually, we actually dug into it. You have the highest all-time winning percentage in that at 72.5%, and your team is the San Suchi. So give us a little insight into this whole super contest, your team, and maybe your anxiety level during such a contest. <laughs> the last part there is funny. I've never yelled at my TV so much in my life. Uh, yeah, San Suchi, which is uh, like French for no problem. Uh, uh, without worry is the exact uh, translation. Um, but uh, yeah, it was myself and three other guys. So it was a team of four. And this was back in 2011. And yeah, we cashed for a real nice chunk of change. Unfortunately, it's not like today's money where you pocket a million bucks or something like that. Um, but you know what, guys, it, it's, it's not about, and it was great money. And, you know, we certainly put it to good use and whatnot, but uh, it's about the title. Here we are 11 years later talking about it. And, you know, there's only been 35, maybe not even 40 guys in the history of sports gambling that have ever won the super contest. So, so it's really about the title. It's probably, you know, certainly a big part of why uh, I, I now have a career with VEASAN and have had a career with, you know, other radio shows and, you know, other sports content outlets and stuff like that. It's, you know, that gave me instant street cred. I, I was kind of the, uh, the captain of the team. Um, but yeah, we, we captured lightning in a bottle. It was a perfect storm. 
all of us had career years as far as picking games. You know, we, we still have the same team to this day. And, you know, one, you know, nowadays, one guy might have a season where he hits 65%, but another guy hits 45% and we, and we don't end up cashing in 2011, the worst guy on our team hit 65%. So it, it, it was just, uh, you know, it all came together. Um, and, and you talk about the anxiety level. I mean, I, I could sit here and tell you stories about this for a long time too, but I, you know, if, if you pointed out every, I mean, I can still remember a lot of moments from a lot of games, but I could probably go through every game we had on every card that season. And I, I mean, I remember the very last week, the, the, the last week, the end of the regular season was on new year's day. So I knew that that was going to be a great New Year's Day, no matter what, sitting there watching football games. But one of the games we had was the Buffalo Bills. And this is back before Josh Allen and all of that. And I think the Patriots were laying like it it was an absurd number. The Patriots might have been laying like 17 and a half or 18 and a half or something like that. And my buddy took them. They were down to Buffalo 21 to nothing at halftime. So essentially we're down by you know, almost 40 points. The Patriots came out in the second half and scored 52 unanswered points on the Buffalo Bills and won and covered the spread. <laughs> so that was a crazy one. Um, it, we, we, were, we were ahead by about a point or a point and a half going into that final week. And there was only two or three guys that could catch us. And uh, you know, again, it was four of us on the team and we each made a pick. And then one guy made two picks because you have to make a total of five picks every week. And I was telling my teammates, I said, please don't pick the Sunday night game. Don't, don't make me sweat this thing all the way until, (laughs) you know, nine o'clock at night Pacific time. Well, sure enough, one guy did pick the Sunday night game. We ended up going four and one on the week, but the fact of the matter is we, we clinched it after the morning games were finished. So uh, you know, about one o'clock in the afternoon Pacific, uh, my phone started blowing up and that was, uh, that was good to have it finished early. I'm That's absolutely awesome. impressed that you had a team that did that. that. That would probably be the hardest thing for me is to get the consensus of the five you're going to go with each week. Um, so it sounded like you had a pretty good system that pretty much everyone was going to find a game and you kind of went from there. Were you the captain? Were you the one that made the ultimate call of who we're running with this week? Well, I didn't have like veto power or anything like that. No, it was, it was a round table discussion. I was just kind of the, the one that, that led the charge. I turned in the picks all the time. I started the conversation every week, all that type of stuff. I, you know, I, I kind of set the rules that everybody agreed on and how we were going to go about things, but you know, there, there's pros and cons to a team dynamic versus just playing as a single entry. Um, One thing I think I like about the team, uh, aspect is you guys, probably the four of you probably all have a little bit, at least, uh, dissimilar handicapping styles Definitely. and, and the four guys on my team, we all have, uh, fairly dissimilar, uh, handicapping styles. And if, and if you're just a single entity, you only have one handicapping style pretty much. And you guys know how it is when you go through an NFL card, not every single play plays out to one particular style. There's going to be public teams. There's going to be wise guy teams. There's going to be system plays. There's going to be trends plays. There's all different kinds of winners that show up every week on an NFL card. So if you're employing just one style, 
I think sometimes you're limiting yourself uh, in choosing those five games. Maybe take three games that are of your style and then kind of go off the rails with the other two or something. And you have to employ game theory and all this other stuff that goes into it. But with a team, if you're just playing your own style, then you're probably going to end up with four, you know, you're, you're going to end up with a variety of, of pick types and it worked really well for us that year. That's, that's amazing. Um, before we let you go though, Brady, uh, you actually bet against, that was Ryan Fitzpatrick in the 2011 bills. <laughs> yeah you, you got you got the better hand of fitz magic yeah that that was i mean that was one of many incredible finishes and, and here's another thing guys you can all have and i and you may have experienced this before you can all have an incredible football season where you hit 60 62 65 percent but to get us to 72 and a half percent it's in those last two minutes of a football game and you know it, it becomes a coin flip we probably won 80 or 90% of the coin flips. That's why we went from very good to out of this world. So before you drop off, Brady, give us, um, give all the listeners a little update on your shows, anything you want to plug, whatever. And then uh, we'll wrap up our show and let you go. Well, thank you guys very much. Uh, it's a pleasure that uh, you were interested in having me on here. And, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot and get to meet you guys and, Happy to know that you're fans of VSIN. Uh, VSIN, the biggest stats and information network, VSIN.com. And, you know, it's not just our show. My, 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 ex, my area of expertise is NFL football and uh, PGA Tour golf. And those are pretty much the two shows that I host. I host a golf show during this time of year and during football season. My co-host and I, James Salinas, who's another super contest winner, we uh, host the Pro Football Blitz during football season. So it works out quite well for me where golf kind of wraps up when football is starting and, and vice versa, football's wrapping up when golf is starting. So, so that works well, but yeah, I just encourage people to go to vcin.com, check out all the shows for whatever sport you're interested in. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Las Vegas golfer. Thanks, Brady. We appreciate the time. I mean, it was awesome. We'll definitely reach out to you questions, thoughts, anything. Feel free to reach out to us as well anytime and i appreciate you guys not falling asleep on me oh god no, no I mean, we could, we could <laughs> what happened we could do this for two more hours but we try to shoot for that whole hour thing that not uh, bore our listeners so <laughs> very good great talking to you guys thanks brady have a great night brady. okay you too thanks brady appreciate the time yes sir thank you yeah so i, I am see. looking now at the finals MVPs here. And I am curious about like Jordan Poole, Marcus Smart, and Andrew Wiggins are all 35, 40 to one. So that's, that's a still a pretty good price. I, I like the concept of the fact that like, they're the guy you don't think about, right? They're the, yeah, the, yeah. the extra guy, you know, Marcus Smart is going to take the shots at the end of the game, even though he probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so if he hits a couple game winners, you know, it's going to be hard. Like he is going to be a big factor in the defense. He's going to be flopping all over the place. He's going to be frustrating Curry as much as he can. Um, I'm curious. I might put a little, little bit on each of these guys. Cause I, I do think they have some value. Not that Jalen Brown doesn't. That was, that was my logic with Brown though, because he to me is the guy who's going to shoot at the end of the game for that last three. I know it's, it should be Tatum, but Tatum likes to defer a lot. And you like, you just said, smart has been the guy shooting and if I'm if I'm the coach of the Celtics I'd rather have Brown shooting it than than Smart. 
Yeah, you know, like I brought up, Matt, I, I love your play with Brown. I think Brown's an unbelievable uh, player. The thing is, you got to watch his turnovers. I don't know what's going on right now with his dribbling. His dribbling is bad right now, and he just loses the ball. But I, I kind of agree. Smart, just because of that. I think, you know, with Brady saying that about defending Steph, and then if you can get some big shots, what's the over-under of me screaming every time he shoots the ball? Don't shoot it. Oh, good shot. Good shot. Good shot, Mark. There, there, there's shot. no line on that because there's no, no other it's side. Hot, That's one of those one-sided be, bets you can make on the uh, website where it's, it's like, yes, plus, minus There'll be, there'll be a lot of screaming tomorrow. You know one I hit the other night was Big Al. I did the 21 and a half over with points, rebounds, and assists. And he got the last rebound with like two seconds and I won. But a lot of people, if you've listened to these shows, they said he looks really old and slow and tired. See, I kind of agree with that slightly. I thought his shooting was really bad. He had so many open, wide, wide open three-pointers in that last game. And just his shot was really inconsistent. But rebounding, blocked some shots. Listen, I think I think he's 36 years old. And, you know, you got to think about the Celtics. I'm really glad they got four days off here going into game one, because if this was a fast turnaround, that would have been for sure a play with Golden State to blow them out. I think this one tomorrow, I mean, I kind of hate, you know, when you take your team and, oh, of course, Smitty's a Celtics fan, you're going to take them. I think I think this can be a competitive game. I think Boston does get one. See, I think Boston's going to win the series. Maybe that's the homer in me talking. I think they do get one out west here um, and take it back to Boston 1-1. All right, before we wrap it up, um, I could keep going on the NBA, but let's let's touch on the NHL real quick. We have game one tonight between the Lightning and the Rangers. So for you hockey fans, we have a 1-1 tie going into the second period, I believe. So I am – I've can. I've changed. Um, I despise the Rangers, but you can't bet with your heart. So I'm actually going to rate or ride uh, Mr. Igor Shosturkin all the way to the, the finals. I, I think the Rangers are going to pull this one off. Tampa Bay has just played massive amounts of hockey in the last three years. This is their third deep run. They're, they're not the youngest team in the league anymore. I mean, Vasilevsky still is a brick wall and he's a monster back there, but I'm going to take the hot team. I'm going to take the Rangers, maybe a little bit of team of destiny. However, I think when they get to the finals, uh, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to stop Colorado if they get there. That team is just so fast. But the, the whoever wins this East Eastern Conference is going to muck it up and really dirty it up. And that's a uh, that, that could be the equalizer. Go ahead, Smitty. Now, I just want to say I'm going to plug um, myself a little bit up here, 18 and 11 right now. And I don't know much about hockey, but I'm going to brag up J cam here in a second, but 18 and 11. Now, last night, I did not know that was going to be the NHL all-star game. And I played the under, so I looked like a fool, <laughs> but that's okay. Now tonight I took the under and it started one, one pretty quick there. And I'm like, Oh, here we go again. So we'll see what happens. But J cam, can you just give a little, you know, if, I hope people on Twitter saw this a little competition. I think it's out of like 200 and something people. And Jason is in third place. Jason, can you just give a little bit of information on this? Well, you know, so Maddie and I got involved with um, a monkey bets on Twitter. who was sponsoring like uh, basically a, a handicapping contest for the NHL in the last couple months of the season. Some of the people from there that we now follow basically had an open competition of like people who actually gamble on hockey, you know, on Twitter, Hey, join a pool. And that's basically what I did. So 
I've been fortunate. I was pretty much right on with the lightning. Um, right on with the avalanche. The, the flames are going to hurt me though in that contest long run. Cause I really thought they'd get through that series with the Oilers by being just defensive and boring and getting through that did not happen, but I had the Rangers come to this part too, which really hurt me as a Penguins fan. Um, so yeah, so, so far so good. Uh, I, I need the, uh, the lightning to get through and I need probably the Oilers to get through because I'm sure the avalanche are in a lot of people's finals, but um you know, I disagree with Maddie though. I actually think the team out of the East is actually going to have much more ease of the Western Conference teams than we think. Colorado showed me some defensive liabilities last night that they can't have. I mean, I know Edmonton, they wanted to go up and down and they did, but you know, there's a certain point, like they let them back into that game. It was a one goal game late. Um, Oilers had a chance to tie it up and it was an empty netter that made it two because I had the minus one and a half. Um, you know, you can't play that way in the finals. And the, the, both of the teams, Lightning and Rangers, are more than happy sitting back and playing defense and counterattacking. And, and the Colorado and Edmonton play right into that style. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the Eastern teams, whoever comes out of there, is actually going to win. Uh, I have a little more weird worry about Lightning because I do think, like Matt said, they've got some age on them. They've got some miles on them. And we might be getting to a point now where they're starting to slow down just a little too much. Their offense has not been there. Yeah, they were winning some games against Florida that no one thought they could win because everybody thought the Florida would be able to outscore them and they couldn't. Um, but when you have as good of a goalie as they have and basically guys just willing to block every shot with their body and take the beating, you know, that does add up though. And we'll see if that adds up this range. The Rangers, the series, the Penguins is pretty open skating. They didn't really have to worry. In fact, they were getting criticized for not blocking shots. That might help them out in the long run because they're a little bit of a fresher team at this point. And, uh, I really think they have the goal scores, better goal scores at this point than Tampa does, and they have equal goalies. Somehow Shesterkin's goals against average is down to where Vasilev's is, which is insane considering how high scoring that Penguin series was. So, um, yeah, I, the Blue Shirts look pretty good. I mean, we'll see. It's 1-1 right now tonight. They, they got the first goal. It looks like they couldn't keep the lead. But um, I like the Eastern teams, whoever gets through. All right, Smitty, send us home. Uh, and here's your, your sending home point. Pirates one nothing in the third over the Dodgers. Oh, well, Jick Jack, Jick Jack just wrote me, and I sent him a little thing on Twitter. So he said, "Smitty, take me home because somebody else I think just put another major bet on the Dodgers tonight." Woo! Uh, so I, I sent a little pirate thing to him. Yeah, you know that's the thing about baseball, and you know we all like to bet baseball. It's hard. I mean, Lord. you look at the numbers of the Dodgers the last two days going going into this and you're like wow there's no way the pirates are going to win these games or anything and they did and um you know then you can have a team that's winning big and they blow it because the bullpens blow it i mean it's hard and it's you know it's a sweat for a reason people i mean if you don't like it then don't get into it it's well, it's fun hey i'll say this about the pirates and you know i have two future bets my mets under looks really dumb and bad and that happens because they're playing extremely well the pirates i took it last year and it was a winner it looks not bad right now i think with the the youth movement and i wish they'd bring up a couple other guys out of the minors here and go with it if you're going to lose go with the the younger guys and where the direction of your team but you can tell some of the younger guys are playing hard right now so i think it's you know it's exciting i hope they hold on tonight um i i i know I know Paulie on um, Follow the Money this morning was jumping on the Pirates because I think you saw today Quintana had the best, one of the best ERAs in May um, in baseball. So I, I don't know who the Dodgers, there was some uh, question marks who they were going to start if it was White or another guy tonight. Um, but we'll see what happens there. Um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's funny, Matt, we go back, Matt, you know, I'm going to say to our audience, Matt's a big Phillies fan. And, you know, sometimes he'll write me and kind of joke about the pirates and I kind of go back at Matt and that's just a team. It's a head scratcher with some teams. You know, if you look at that division in the NL East, you know, the Braves not playing really well, the nights they have offense, they don't get pitching. Um, I thought the Marlins were going to be a better team than they are right now. You know, just another team in the AL, I think, Matt, I don't know if you had a ticket on this, but we talked about this. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, a lot of people were big, you know, on their over this year to jump on them. And they're really disappointing right now. So, I mean, that's baseball. It's hard. And then you get injuries like Philly's had a, a key injury today that came out. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully the Pirates can get it and sweep and probably come back. I don't know who they play next, but they'll probably play like the Reds again and lose all three. So, that's <laughs> Hey, Smitty, you were right. So I had bets on the uh, Mariners and Phillies team overs. This or, or actually the Mariners to win the West. So that's probably dead in the water. It's it's my curse this year. This uh, 2022 has been a little rough for me so far, even though I treaded water really well with football this year. So, but we'll wrap it up here. Everybody check out Cam on uh, Twitter for his hockey plays. Check out Smitty for his hockey plays during the playoffs. He's been killing it. Hey, reach out to us. Hit us up with questions. We love a little hate, too. Smitty loves a little haters on his thing. We are the guys at Notebook Wagering. And uh, bang your bookies, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Notebook Wagering Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And be sure to follow at Notebook Wagering. Until next time.